0: Welcome to Faith FM, you are listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88 or the internet or whichever one of the channels of the Faith FM network you are on, you are listening, it is a beautiful, somewhat sunny, a little bit overcast Tuesday morning here in Newcastle and you are listening to The Breakfast Show with Lawson and Rick. Oh Rick, great Rick. to have you, I love how you bring it in, <laughs> yeah. like me and Lyle are always kind of shouting at each other, you're just, <sighs> but then you just come in with a deep, I, ca- I can't do that bro, I just, embar- <laughs> just embarrass myself, Rick, what are you grateful for this morning?
1: Oh, just to be here, you know, it sounds boring doesn't it, but I think, some, <laughs> I think sometimes we just underestimate just how fortunate we are here, to be mm. alive, breathing and doing all those things and to be able to come in here and just share, it's That's great. right, yep.
0: Ah, oh, I, I totally agree. You know, uh, we had our first live show yesterday. We're rolling, rolling on today, continuing. We're, um, well, we're missing Lyle at the moment. He's just off gallivanting and building and doing all kinds of things. Um, so maybe that's something I should be grateful for, that, Lyle- yeah. <laughs> that Lyle's not here. <laughs> but Rick, I'd love to ask you too, I don't think we really talked about this yesterday. How was your like Christmas, New Year's period?
1: Yeah, it was reasonably quiet, like most folks. But we, um, my my son, had some days off two weeks before Christmas, so we yeah. spent our family Christmas about the second week of uh, December, mm. and then just met up with some friends and that. So it was quite quite and slow, but but still, it's a, it was about family and that. So that was good. Yeah.
0: Oh, dude, I can totally resonate. I had, you know, probably one of the. Best Christmases I've ever had in ten years. I think it was a such a blessing that Christmas this year um, was on a Saturday, so we were at church, yes, yes. and I was privileged enough to be able to preach that day. Wow. I preached the Christmas message, yep. and a lot of my family who aren't Christian um, came along and 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 listened to listen to the sermon. They were really really blessed by it, and uh, and I, it was just so good to have that experience. And, you're listening to The Breakfast Joe Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, what's happening in the
1: world of positively different news? Well, yesterday I spoke about getting your hands in the dirt. Yes. Remember that? And okay, how, I and, did and, remember. And, yes, and uh, how sort of therapeutic that is because it releases uh, serotonin in the body and, um, and, and that's good. And I, I sort of would like to follow up with something uh-huh. like that. Forest schools. Forests. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, we When we were growing up, we called them farms. That's what we lived on. But forest, <laughs> forest schools are booming in the UK, mm. and here's why. Uh, they believe that because of COVID, so there's a negative side to COVID, but there's a positive side coming out. Uh-huh. Because of COVID, safety concerns and more awareness about mental health benefits of outdoor life are reasons why parents are seeking alternative learning paths for their children. Wow. So others believe parents have been empowered by homeschooling and were spurred by the pandemic to try and improve on their traditional curriculum. So what they're doing is they're getting out in the bush, out in the forest, Mm. nature, if you like. Yeah, for sure. And children are starting to experience and learn from what God's put there all along. Mm. So I'm just thinking, how powerful is that? Because... uh, you know, I, I I've been a chaplain of schools, and and, and in and in the cities, kids would say, um, "Where does that milk come from?" <laughs> okay, so you go to a farm. And t- so I just think, I just think, it's like a negative a negative context has moved a group of people into a positive environment. So I wouldn't suggest that we want negative things to do that all the time. We don't. But I like how people are looking around and saying, "Okay." we need to do something with this issue we've got and uh forest schooling
0: how's that yeah totally i think you know in terms of when you see uh, a negative context kind of pushing people um towards positives i think they've seen you know the the Regular schooling environment, or maybe the homeschooling environment, or whatever, turning that um, that isolation from nature up to up to eleven. Yeah. Whereas before, you know, uh, I, I can imagine in the UK, you know, you have it similarly anywhere in the world. Particularly if you're living in in a very urban area, a very city area, where it's like school is just a building. Yep. You go into, spend all day in, come home, and then, and then, like, for a lot of people, like, it, the experience is, especially, again, if you live in the city, it's just you're in the urban epicenter. You come home, you yep. walk into your apartment, and you just yep. spend time there, and, and that's it. Um, whereas it, it seems as though uh, that's been turned up to 11 in the pandemic, where people are having to stay inside 24-7, and they don't have access to to do any of those things. even But even the social interaction as well, and it's like, oh, man, this is really really negative and so it's it seems like it's it's forced this push to towards um outdoor schooling farm schooling it's
1: it's like it's like um necessity is the mother of Mm. invention it's like people saying we can't we've got to find other ways to get a rational way of living here and Mm. and i mean i i I just see that as a great result i i I, we don't need covid to tell us that i (laughs) think i think it's just it's we should be doing it anyway
0: well, I love it when Lyle, you know, talks about his childhood and he reflects and he's like, oh yeah, I went to a school with 20 people <laughs> in total from K to six. And, you know, like we would be out the back playing in the field or in the farm or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And uh, then he kind of talks about, you know, shooting guns at school and I, I, that doesn't really happen anymore. No. Um, no. But, but I remember growing up, like I'm, I'm blessed to grow up here in the like Newcastle Lake Macquarie area. Going to a school that had like this massive like bush um bush area yeah. that you could just run around in between the trees and stuff, it's funny. I went there recently I went back to the school just through um like I was just walking around I live like up the road now and you can walk through the bush on a bush track all the way to the school. You like come out on the school oval and you can see the school yeah. and this bush area they've like fully fenced in now, and I don't understand why it's because of like safety um and and things, but like specifically fencing it from people who can just come in the outside, yeah. but I remember when I was going to school, it was just like completely. Yes. Open and and people yeah. were just doing all you know all kinds of things and and uh occasionally it'd be like oh the teacher'd be like oh look look it's a sunny day oh let's let's I forget what they called it that a sp- specific name for it but it was like oh let's go spend I'm gonna call it the bush area I'm like let's go to the yeah, bush area and just have a walk and we'll talk about
1: you know everyone bring their books are going to talk about geography yeah
0: but in the bush area
1: well we, we grew up on a farm and mum and dad'd say where are you going I think I mentioned this before mum and dad on a Sunday morning or whatever in holidays would say Six o'clock. Where are you going, boys? Nowhere. Um, we'd get back at. We'd get out at dawn. We'd mm-hmm. come back at, du- uh, at at dusk, and they'd say, "What'd you do? Nothing." <laughs> <laughs> and we absolutely had a full day in the bush. Yeah. Wow. This was be- we, before the motorbikes and that. Uh, we'd climb trees. We just snakes. You name it. We're just kids out there having fun. Um, probably you'd consider it dangerous these days. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, hey, we survived it. But we learnt so much.
0: Mm. This is Actually, that kind of goes into conjunction with a study that I had mentioned on the show before, and that is that, like, a, a lot of, you know, OH&S um, kind of experts, like people who are controlling the risk management at schools and whatnot, are actually encouraging schools to... Oh, build to build play, playgrounds, and they were advised to do so by insurance companies that had had research done. Because this is the thing: <laughs> if they had playgrounds where there was a potential for risk, now obviously we're not like putting like sharp objects yeah, and you know, yeah, like yeah. like being unnecessarily dangerous. Yeah. But if there are safety risks when the kids are playing, you know, when it comes to climbing trees or doing this or doing that, or doing the other, um, it would actually teach kids self-preservation. Um, and if it teaches kids self-preservation and, and, sk- and awareness skills, that will be less likely once they get older to have car crashes and cost insurance companies yep. a lot of money. Yep. Uh, it's long-term
1: like, solutions. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Like
0: it's, you ultimately make yourself safer by exposing yourself to more risk.
1: Totally agree, and, and 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 it's graduated risk, and you learn to cope with those sort of things. So, I, I I I sort of like the idea of getting back to earth because it's a part of who we are. It's mm. a part of it. And urbanisation has been helpful in some ways, been destructive in other ways. That mm. has broken the cycle. When I was growing up, the country party was huge, and you know, it, growth population. Okay, that ha- that's going to happen anyway. Mm. But how do we manage the balance between? What's happening over in London there, or England? Getting the kids into the forest. Okay,
0: this is this is what you do for if Australian listeners, if you're living in the bush, if uh, sorry, if you're living in the city or whatever it may be, um, this is the solution. You ready? Uh, move to Newcastle. Okay, or maybe don't move to Newcastle. I, I'm, I'm actually, I don't know if I should encourage that <laughs> because Newcastle is just the best place to live. Because you're like twenty yeah, minutes yeah. or ten minutes from everything. Yeah, and we don't
1: want other good people here. That's
0: <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to. <laughs> we don't want to turn it into another city. No. But oh, Newcastle is just the best. Like I can say, like growing up in Newcastle, like being you know a, a, a twenty minute car ride from the beach. I was living in Lake in Lake Macquarie area. It's like twenty five minutes. Yep. You know, 20, 25 minutes to the beach, to the city in Newcastle. Um, a couple of minutes to the bush, and the lakes right. The there. the lakes. Right there, you know. Again, my my school was like close to the waterfront, close to the yeah. bush. Like, oh, it's just the best. Like living in an area like this, or oh, and there's so many places up the north coast, like where you know uh, you can live and and have that experience. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people have realised this because of the pandemic, and now housing prices have doubled in the last 10 up, years. Yeah, uh, but hey,
1: that's fine. Just, yeah. just, 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 just get, get out it. in the bush and enjoy. You've got to find it somewhere. That's right. You've got to get the balance. That's
0: right. And hey, if you're listening, you have, you know, families and whatnot, hey, out with the kids as well. I, mean, I th- some of the most memorable times going up, me and my dad, we used to do these, like, it was, we called it like, I don't know if you call it a men's retreat or a boys' retreat or whatever, but it'll yep. basically be him and his friends and his friends' kids, so, which were my friends. Yep. And we'd all go, I think we were like six or seven, yep. like there was like. Four or five kids, and then it would be his friends, and we'd all go out in the bush. And I remember it'd be like we'd all get like a hatchet each. Yeah. It was like, oh, you can cut off branches, yeah. you can do this, do that. Yeah. And we'd be running around the bush with our hatchets like don't
1: uh, hit each other. Like
0: <laughs> and it was yeah. it was amazing. Oh, this is so fun to talk about. You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Epic. 491 64 Nine. All right, let's have a look at some, some current news. And we, oh, we, I, okay, everyone's been talking about Novak Djokovic, it, you know, in, whether it's your Facebook wall, whether it's your family group chat, you know, hashtag let him play. It's all, it's all going off. Um, I wanted to specifically comment on just some of the comments that were made, um, by him, um, and by his dad that I thought were really interesting to talk about here on Faith FM. Um, essentially, this is this is very very interesting. Um, so if you don't know, uh, Novak Djokovic is probably one of the most famous um, and best tennis players in the world. One of the most successful, at least um, currently, one of the, one of the best. And um, there is you know this whole drama going on over his visa status as he has come to Australia unvaccinated. Um, on you know uh, to because of the invitation of they they're having the Australian Open here, uh, but then. Like, and the Australian government invited him. But then when he arrived here, they cancelled his visa and then he was in detention for a little bit. Then they had like a, a federal court, you know, they had a, a court case and Novak actually beat the government mm. in court and was allowed to play. But they're still debuting, dis- disputing, going back and forth about it. Um, and it's been a bit of a debacle. It's actually kind of left egg on the face of the Australian government. Um, because it's like, why would you, Invite the guy over here, ex- like, grant him a visa and then cancel it, knowing full well from the beginning his vaccination status, all these things. Uh, but interestingly, his, his you know, his dad and his mom have had, you know, have been mm-hmm. helping him with a, his kind of campaign of getting out and being able to play. Um, and... This is what his dad said. Let's read here. Um, and, and this was a a, 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 this is a quote from an article. It says, hitting out against the Australian government. Uh, Sri Jan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call him Sir Jan. Serjan uh, Djokovic, his dad, um, said that they are trying to crucify and belittle Novak and throw him to his knees. Um, Jesus was crucified and had, endured, and had to endure many things, but still remains alive among us. Novak is also crucified, who is the best sportsman and man in the world. He will endure. Uh, <laughs> so... Okay, so I, I come at this in two ways. It's like the first the first question is, is Novak being persecuted unjustifiably? Um, and in many ways, you could say yes. You know, he was invited over here. His visa was cancelled, even though he was invited over here. He is being stopped from playing the sport of which is profession. So this is you could. You know, you could say you could make a case. Oh, oh, this is affecting his his income. Um, at the same time, he's like one of the richest sportsmen. Yeah, two hundred
1: and ten million, I think. They
0: said. Yeah, his net worth. So it's like ah, uh, but at the same time, like this is his life. Yeah. Um, and he yes, there are they are impeding him from his freedoms to be able to play tennis. Um, is that in any way? Comparable to Jesus being crucified for the sins of the world, um, of the son of God being born here as a child, living in this world, um, experiencing the highest level of temptation, um, of suffering, of persecution for the sake of giving everyone eternal life. Um, and I'm going to, you know, maybe, maybe I'm putting myself out there, uh, and say, no, it is completely incomparable.
1: I and I I think the word persecution is a strong word in this right. in this tennis case. You might want to you might say I can see Christ was persecuted, but I think maybe with um Djokovic <laughs> it could be discriminated against yeah. on the basis but to go to the, the persecution level, mm, that's right. that's his, his mum said he was taught he's being tortured. That's right. Novak's mum said in print yeah. he's being tortured. And I'm going
0: uh yikes because Ooh. you know well what does torture look like to novak um, well it it you know he uh he stayed in in, in a detention kind of facility for a couple of days like yeah, it seems pretty bad um, in, in but that dis- detention center on australian shores in yeah. you know what are the the it's most perspe- developed country it's a perspective, the isn't it? Yeah, you know, and and that's the thing because when we talk about persecution, um, yeah, all last year, me and Lyle are covering stories oh. about cr- persecution stories happening yesterday. over the world, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, uh, particularly talking to people like Etienne McClintock, voice of the martyrs, yeah. we were discussing, yeah. um, yesterday as well, just off off air about you know our kind of our love for the voice of the martyrs and the ministry that they're doing. And you're hearing about Christians just literally being killed, killed. for their faith,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> like, like identifying as Christian, and uh, you know, you go to places like Nigeria where you've got Boko Haram, like doing government insurgency, and it's like, you know, just absolutely wiping out villages with machine guns. Or uh, you head over to, you know, we covered Afghanistan and all the things happening there, China, wherever it may be, where people are being um, killed and thrown in jail for their faith, um, and also, you know, like I. And bias as a christian i do believe that uh, <laughs> the message of jesus is a little bit more important than your ability to play tennis and that's a perspective that i came to myself as a previous you know um athlete as a previous aspiring professional athlete trying to be a motorbike racer and living mm. overseas and going pro and doing all those things like I, I very much come to the perspective that uh okay sport i'll say this sport is noble in the sense of pushing yourself to your absolute limit and finding the limits of the human body, you know, watching Elliot Kipchoge run a sub two hour marathon, you know, that it's incredibly noble. They're they're really trying to achieve things. That's amazing. But in terms of professional sport, um, for the most part, it is actually just advertising and gambling. Um, it is <laughs> it is a system that is created to make people rich. Um, and like, I'm not going to say, oh, never, you know, benefits off the poor. It's not like, I wouldn't say it's as like malignant as alcohol or smoking or industries like that. Like it is, it is entertainment. It, you know, it, it does, it does all those kinds of things. It, it, there are good functions to sport. Um, and there are sports that I very much watch and I, I like, and there are times where I do catch the Australian open and, and the finals and watch some of the games. Um, but at the same time, you know, to think that, yeah, Novak Djokovic's experience is as influential, important, or in any way comparable to the yeah. experience of Christ and also those who are losing their lives for their faith around the world today um, and throughout all ages uh, is a bit ridiculous in my opinion, and I am... We're going to leave it there. That, yeah, that's our yes. Novak Djokovic we've,
1: coverage. We've got people thinking, and the lines and the lines will hot up. <laughs>
0: yeah, 0491064669 is the number to call. If you have any thoughts on this, then let us know. Yep. Um, in other words, uh, well, not in other words, in uh, some other news, oh, okay, I came across a, a story this morning that I thought was really interesting. It was basically prisoners who believe in God. This is actually kind of a negative study, but I wanted to talk about it. Prisoners who believe in God... Um, are just as likely to re-offend as those who have no faith. Mm. So this is as a result. They've seen, like, okay, prisoners who come in and convert in jail um, or were, you know, maybe Christian before and then re-offended and then got back in touch with their faith in jail and then have gone out into the world again um, are just as likely to re-offend as those who consider themselves not of faith or not of Christian faith. And I read this and I'm like, that's quite worrying because we, as Christians believe that God gives us new change, life and itch. brings us to change. Um, I was looking at the, the sample size for this specific um, uh, research and it's only 174 inmates, which is incredibly small. But at the same time, they did make a good point. Um, they did make a really good point. They said this, they said that um, using religion as the only, um, you know, uh, the only method of rehabilitation, uh, the only catalyst towards rehabilitation, mm-hmm. rehabilitation, can be actually harmful to inmates. Right. And I was like, that's actually true. They said they made this point of there is a need for skilling up inmates, giving them purpose, and I'm like. I also agree, but faith is also, you know, in the mix as well, giving them a godly perspective, but then also giving them work, giving them yeah. purpose, I'm um, giving them the ability to come out into the world and re-assimilate, um, you know, not to be institutionalized is incredibly important. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Hey, well, right now we come to our interview time and we've got Dr. John Ashen on the phone. John, are you there?
2: Uh, Yes, Uh,
0: hi there. Hi, John. Oh, we are so great and glad, you know, grateful and glad to have you on the show for the first time this year.
2: Yes, it's a good Happy New Year to everyone. Hope it goes a lot better this time, this year round.
0: Awesome. So we get you on here to talk about things all to do with, the, you know, the world of Christian science, creation, these kinds of things. Um, And today we want to open up Um, about, we want to talk about uh, some insane fossils that have been found, specifically underwater ones, and just jump into what's happening in that space. So, yeah, what is happening in that space, John? Yes,
2: well, it's uh, quite a uh, surprise find with... Uh... Uh, reported uh, last year a, um, a man was doing a routine cleaning out of a water reservoir um, in uh, Rutland in uh, the UK and, and so Rutland, if you're in there, if you can think of a picture of um, England and on the east coast you've got that big round section that pokes out towards uh, France, Belgium there mm. um, and uh, if you go uh, They're about a third of the way across uh, England. So in the centre there, you have the county of Rutland. Mm. And so a man was cleaning out this uh, water reservoir there, and part of cleaning out the reservoir was they lowered the, uh, the water level. And um, he noticed there were these very large uh, vertebrae, uh, fossils of vertebrae uh, sticking out. And the result was that uh, they... Um, Discovered a a 33 foot long or 10 metre long um, ichthyosaur, and this is a a giant um, uh, marine uh, creature, sort of related to the uh, to the dolphins. It was a a predator type uh, animal, but a you know very large warm blood. Well, I believe they were warm blooded uh, animals. So it's it's quite interesting to find this. Huge uh, marine reptile so far inland there. Mm, It's a very well, um, you know, preserved uh, uh, specimen. But what fascinated me, of course, was that it's so close to the to the surface. Um, It's been buried under clay um, and uh, and and fossilised there. Mm. So um, and this is really interesting because it, it shows that. Uh, while they date these uh, specimen as being um, about um, 180 million years old, of course, according to them. or well, we know if the continents were that old, that they would have eroded away, you know, many times. So mm. there's the major problems with the with the dating. But it it interests me that um, we find similar fossils, for example in um, in North Queensland were well, different creatures but again they're quite close to the surface they're marine creatures and they're uh, you know quite this way inland which shows that in the past you know these areas uh, vast um, areas were a lot uh, uh, were, were covered under seas and oceans and and this sort of thing Um and of course, this is what is described, you know, in in the Bible flood account, Noah's flood account. Um, so I thought it's quite fascinating that um, it, you know they're finding these these creatures, and of course, the sound, So it's the I believe uh, from reading the report, it's the largest specimen found uh, so far anywhere in the world, and. Um, if you see, you know, there's a, an aerial photograph of a man lying down uh, next to the to the fossil, um, and um, well, you can imagine, you know, the the, the creature is about five times the yes. length of a man <laughs> in length as he's lying down there, and it's a pretty complete uh, skeleton too that's uh, being found there, just lying uh, prostrate in the in the mud there. Mm.
1: So, John, it's... Um, so, it's pretty, pretty cool. John, yeah. it's, uh, it's Rick, Rick Ferreira. <laughs> so, how the scientific community, um, this was what, found last year? We're talking about just recently? year. Yes, last year, very
2: recently.
1: The scientific community, what would be their initial reactions to that? Um, what would be the processes by which they would say, well, this is this, this is this old... Um, how does that work?
2: Oh, okay. So yeah, the fossils are dated in the in the layers, and so mm-hmm. uh, when they uh, were originally looking at the the fossil layers, the uh, layers near the top are obviously the youngest, and the layers that are further down are the oldest. And what mm-hmm. they did was they looked at the rate at which sediments were sort of forming in lakes and rivers, uh, how many sort of centimetres uh, of, of sediment was deposited per year, and then if you find a, a layer, um, you know, so many uh, hundred metres deep, or these, these layers like we might see in the strata around here, they say, so well, if we're only getting a couple of millimetres of year deposited, these must be, you know, so many million years yeah, old exactly. that it's taken the form, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's just a, a basic calculation. And then different fossils were found. So generally, of course, more primitive fossils like seashells shells were found further down, and uh, more advanced, more complicated creatures were found, you know, further up. So you get the dinosaurs, you know, 70 million, to 120 to 70 million years ago, and Birds and so forth above that. Uh, generally speaking, but what there's a couple of problems with that, and that is that the fossils generally tend to be a much more mixed up than uh, is generally reported in the literature now. So we find, for example, mammals mixed up with dinosaurs. You know, as a matter of fact, we even found fossils of large mammals that have eaten dinosaurs, and found, you know we've got the remains of dinosaurs in their stomach. Mm. the other fascinating thing is of course that when they originally put these dates on they assumed uniform conditions year after year after year in other words no catastrophic events mm-hmm. mm. but obviously to you know to bury things like you know dinosaurs and and to have things so uh, you know preserved so well they had to be buried rapidly mm. and by a very very fast process. For example, when we had the big floods in Queensland the other year, it didn't result in you know fossilised goannas and kangaroos and possums and all this sort of thing. Um, you've got to have a really major event that sort of uh, you know creates a whole lot of movement of sediment that mm. can then be dumped and buries these things very rapidly to preserve them. Otherwise, they you know, break up quickly. And, uh, you know, another classic example is, uh, you know, the finding, uh, I will go back 20 or 30 years now, but of a whole uh, pod of whales on the mountains in Peru. Um, (laughs) And again, and the baleens were were still intact. Now, we know that when a whale dies, the baleen generally, and the flesh rocks, the baleen breaks away and moves away. So the fact that all these were complete showed that they were buried very quickly, Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, of course, the mountains were pushed up. So we know from that that these things can't be millions of years old. There. Mm-hmm. And, and, and often we find soft tissue. Uh, so, for example, another marine reptile was found, um, a giant marine reptile was found in a, um, on an island just uh, north of Norway there, I think, uh, okay. it might have been Greenland, and um, there was soft tissue. Still in that uh, specimen, and yet it was dated at seventy million years. You know,
1: yeah.
2: Mm. So, um, but I think we we have uh, you know overwhelming evidence that these giant creatures did live in the past, and uh, they were very much a, a part of life. But they've been you know wiped out now. Although it's interesting one of the other things that fascinates me is that when you often see maps. Um, that were drawn by the seafarers, they often put in, and it was quite commonly talked about, sea dragons mm. um, and sea serpents. Wow. It sort of wasn't it? Yeah. 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 And, and I think these represented, these were creatures that they actually encountered at those mm. times. Uh, but we tend to, you know, wipe out uh, ah, it. big animals, yeah. just like we don't have bears and lions. You know, um, you know, in England anymore. Mm. You know? quite quite fascinating. But I thought, yeah, it's amazing that these finds are being found now so close to the surface, um, and um, yeah, it's such large animals. And amazing, like in England, that's been, you know, quite, you know, inhabited for, and civilized for so long. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yet yeah, we're still finding things. Then I can imagine as well, like in in a place that's so inhabited and civilized and and whatnot. Like we even see trying to find ruins of biblical sites and how deep we have to dig to to find them. But yeah, we're finding these fossils like everywhere. That's crazy. um I'd love to yeah, know too. I'd love to know too. Like in terms of this like fossil, this new one that's been found. What kind of state was it in?
2: What, what kind of what?
0: Like what kind of state in terms of like how it was preserved? You, you mentioned earlier like the whales in Peru and how they were preserved in such a good state. Like what, what kind of state was this marine animal in that was found?
2: In- oh, yes, it's in, quite, it's in quite good condition. I mean, the, I don't know if they've found any soft tissue yet, mm. uh, but it'd be interesting to see if there's actually soft tissue in the, in, in the bony parts. Um, So obviously it's in the process of being excavated Mm -hmm. um, because it's a very recent find. And so they've uh, they've excavated around the creature. I understand the skull was removed only just recently. It was a giant, um, you know, very large skull was removed to this. um, uh, And so uh, it will be being taken to... Uh, a museum somewhere a university and, and certainly will be uh, being studied at the present time yeah. mm. and so that's what happened for example with the giant reptile that was found on this uh, island uh, up near the Arctic Circle mm. there um, it was taken away and then they examined the fossil and then often some of the bony structure is still there, it hasn't actually been fully mineralized. Mm-hmm. and uh, inside that, that's when they found soft tissue. And it's interesting with that one, when they dated it with carbon-14 dating, uh, the carbon-14 dating came back at 25,000 years. And so wow. uh, this is quite... So the conventional age for the marine lizard was, dated at 70 million years yes. during the yeah, what they call the Cretaceous. Mm. Uh, but that's dated on the fossil layer. So when they actually do the carbon 14 dating, um, they, uh, as I said, they've got 25,000 years. Now, of course, you know, many folk listening might say, well, look, that, you know, that's a lot older than what we believe, uh, you know, 6,000 years to the age of the earth and 4,000 years for the flood. And this seems still four and a half, you know, seems very recent. But what we need to understand is with carbon 14 dating, it's based on, the current levels of uh, carbon-14 in the atmosphere mm. um, and we don't know what it was back then and carbon-14 is formed by the action of cosmic rays and cosmic rays are affected by the Earth's magnetic field and the Earth's magnetic field we believe was much stronger in the past because we measure the rate at which it's declining and slowing yeah. down. So all these factors uh, come into it and in fact, uh, carbon-14 dating has to be calibrated uh, against other, known, like they have to have a specimen that they somehow historically known the, know the date, mm. measure the carbon-14, and then uh, you know compare it to the to level. So it has to be calibrated with some known date. Well, of course, when we go back uh, to pre-historical times, we have no references. We try to use tree yeah, rings, sure. but they're the suspect that the at the present time as well. And what we need to remember is that after a hundred thousand years there would be no detectable carbon fourteen. So this is a major problem for scientists dating these fossils. If they find carbon fourteen in a fossil, mm-hmm. it's a major problem because theoretically the maximum age that it could be it's got to be less than a hundred thousand Years to have any detectable carbon fourteen, mm. and the fact that we find carbon fourteen, irrespective of how we've calibrated, means that it's got to be less than that than a hundred thousand years, or even actually about eighty thousand years.
1: Wow. Our detection
2: has gone out, and so the fact that they're dating these things at seventy million years and so forth mm. is a um, is a major you know it's a major inconsistency that they're not dealing with but it's it's powerful evidence that supports the biblical timeline Mm. uh for a young life on earth Mm. pretty exciting stuff really yeah it definitely is hey john another conversation
0: (laughs) john thank you so much for being on the show we have to bring our interview for you for to an end
2: thanks for being a part of the faith fm family join our community on facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM